Hey everybody, we are Robert, Martin, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters, everyone. This is going to be episode 39, Our Heroes. And to get you started, give you a subtle hint as to who our hero is today. Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Oh yeah. Hey, uh, Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. All right, so obviously we're going to be talking about Charlton Heston. Yeah. The great, the Take one, it. and the only Chuck. Calls off me, you damn dirty ape. It's probably the most famous line the man uttered. Yeah. He's in over 120 movies, episodes of TV shows. He directed a few things. He did screenplay for one. The man acted his entire adult life. And yet he's remembered for that one line. <laughs> But it was a great movie. It was. It was, it was a, a great it movie. Was, it was an amazing risk, actually. It, yeah. Only, it only got made because he signed on to the concept, because he was a big enough star that could make it happen. Yeah, and we think about it today, you know, we this would be done all with CGI, but, you know, that was all makeup and prosthetics and what have you. And, that was, yeah, that was a very expensive and very... Uh, and it ambitious thing. It couldn't have been made before. It was only the makeup that made it happen. They, right. They, they sold an, a new idea to make yeah, it realistic. I mean, he, he signed off on a hugely expensive screen test to test the makeup uh, with the director and all that stuff. And, and which again shows not just his pull as an as an actor, but his influence behind the scenes. Right. So before we get into because that's you know halfway through the man's career. Oh, yeah. Let's, oh let's, yeah, Planet of the Apes is a rabbit hole. Let's, yeah, that, that's a huge rabbit hole for well, us. We're going to eventually do a Planet of the Apes episode. We've got to. We've got later. to. Oh, the whole franchise, because that yeah. deserves some time. <clears throat> so, Charlton Heston. He is obviously, uh, even though I am captaining this episode, this is a hero for all of us. Yes, This is much. not one for just one of us. Charlton Heston is somebody whose work we have admired for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we uh, have a lot of uh, we, a lot of sympathy for a lot of the stands he has taken throughout of his life. Throughout his life, whether it be from marching with Dr. King mm-hmm. to his work later on, he has always been a man of principle, and that is something that we truly admire. It's not just the work. So, Charlton Heston, Chuck, as he liked to be called, mm-hmm. uh, he was born in 1923. So he is he's a geezer. He his hundredth birthday is just three years from now. Mm-hmm. That's an astounding thing when I think about it. Makes me feel kind of old. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, yeah, but he lived until 2008. So he had a long life. Mm-hmm. And a long was, career, too. And a long career. Uh, you know, he had a career longer than, you know, most actors could even dream of. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the most famous roles he had was Ten Commandments. He did 25 things before he did Ten Commandments. Yeah, we were counting them all up in the show prep. We realized, wow, he did all that then? But that was only his sixth year of making movies. Yeah. And, you know, he still had another hundred things after that that he did. So he was very prolific. He was constantly working. Uh, but he was a well-educated man. He wasn't just some guy with a pretty face. Because he's not the, what today we would consider a classical uh, pretty face. He's a rugged guy. Mm-hmm. He's a man's man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said his nose is what got him into it. He has a, a, a little bit of a craggy nose and he said that he was on the set one day uh, on uh, and waved at Cecil B. DeMille. This is before he ever did uh, The Greatest Show on Earth, which was one of his first big breakouts. And he noticed him because of the nose. And next thing you know, he's cast. And from there, you know, he's, he does not only that one, but then goes on to do The Ten Commandments for DeMille just a few years later. All because of a wave he did one day. Right. So he studied at Northwestern University. He's a big Ten man. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, grew up in Michigan, uh, which, you know, big for me. Mm-hmm. And he served in the Army, in the U.S. Army Air Forces. He's a staff sergeant, so he was not just some, you know, guy toting a gun. Uh, he was in the 77th Bombardment Squadron. Now, that pretty much is the extent of what I know about what he did in the war. But he served. Yeah, he was in the Pacific. He made the comment years later that he would have been part of the invasion force of Japan if that had had to happen. Right, right. I believe he uh, was a crewman on bombers. On bombers, okay. Yeah, not a, not a, not a pilot, but, a, uh, but part of the gun crew, I guess. On a bomber, which again, like I think that was um, the idea was they were gathering those forces all throughout the Pacific, including Alaska. I believe he served in Alaska. Yes. And and the idea was that was going to be part of the bombardment if there was going to be a invasion, an actual invasion of Japan. Right. Right. So, so after that, after he got out of the war, uh, he he and his wife Lydia they went to New York. They did a lot of theater work. A lot of theater work. But ultimately, he ended up in Hollywood. And that's where he obviously made his name. He also did a lot of television. uh, You know, like one-off episodes. It's not like he did a a continuing series. But he also did a lot of television movies. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, today, we would think that's a step down for an actor. But back then, it was all the same. And for him, it pretty really was. Yeah, for him, acting was the craft. Yes. It didn't really matter about the channel. He would, if it's a good role... Uh, he would. He did television. He did TV movies. He did major motion pictures. He did theater. Uh, it's just whatever spoke to him. And this was not just when he was struggling or when he was a success and a household name. It's right. Whenever he could. And theater was always a great love. I think he, you know he dabbled in that here and there throughout oh, his in, career in, as in well. The, yeah, in the seventies and eighties, he played Thomas More on the London West End stage. For several years, this is one of the things that prompted him to play more in the TV, TNT TV version of it. Uh, in 1988, when Ted Turner was launching, we talked about this in the Thomas More episode, Ted Turner was launching the network, and he he and Chuck were friends, and he needed... Which is an astounding thing. Well, yeah, because their politics are, are galaxies apart, but, they, but that was Charlton Heston. He was somebody that didn't let such things like that get in the way of things. Also shows the uh, influence and integrity the man had yes. if he could be friends with somebody like Ted Turner whose political views were so opposite. Uh, it also, his influence has shown that he was uh, president of the Screen Actors Guild for some six years. Mm-hmm. So he had to have had the trust and uh, some influence with his fellow actors. And this is in a time where political tensions were running high. This is in the late 60s, early 70s. This is in the middle of Vietnam. Right. And uh, Ed Asner and he were at loggerheads all the time because politically they were very, very different. And yet he enjoyed the support of for to be president for six years. Yep, yep. So we know him through a lot of the, the, the iconic roles. You know, his now his first movie, it's not one he is well known for. Not his first movie, but his first big break, which is Greatest Show on Earth. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. Jimmy Stewart's in that movie, plays the clown Buttons. Yeah. Loved him in that. Uh, but he plays the uh, basically the, the manager of the, mm-hmm. the, the circus. And that's a great role. He's young. He's energetic. Uh, he goes on to do Ten Commandments. He does Touch of Evil with Orson Welles. We talked about that in the film noir episode. And he goes on and does all these different movies. 55 Days at Peking. He does war movies. He does westerns. There's nothing this guy will not do if he thinks it's a good script. Even a few comedies. He did The Private War of Major Benson. Which is a phenomenal Phenomenal, fun movie. He did that as a leading man, mind you, 
the year before the Ten Commandments. Right. He was not a big bankable star at that time. Right. But he, he, he was earning his way. But wow, I mean, if you see that movie today, it's still funny even today. Ten Commandments, followed quickly by Ben-Hur, which is the one he won the Oscar for. Absolutely. He won the Best Picture, and then he won the Best, o- best yeah. Actor. Um, don't think he ever won another Oscar, but that's all right. No. He, he, he really prized his work in Ben-Hur. Uh, he, and he, he wrote a lot about his life and his career, too. I mean, he has two books uh, that actually we've... Uh, Martin, you've got copies of them sitting right here on the yes. floor with us. Uh, uh, his, his biography, In the Arena... Uh, that he put out in hardback, uh, which we picked up. Uh, Robert and I actually met him. When yes, that, when got to shake hands with the man. This is a story. Um, during Heston's book tour for In the Arena, his autobiography, he actually came here, which doesn't happen a lot with book tours, to come to Louisville. Uh, to a local to a, independent bookstore at the time. Local bookstore. He was signing the books. Um, these two guys, I'm very jealous, they got to actually meet him and have their books signed. I had to be out of town for work, so my wife got to meet Moses. Yeah. Yes. And got, and got you the book. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So I do have a signed one, but I didn't get to actually watch the man sign it. It was very brief. You were ru- you yes. were rushed in, rushed oh, out. I would imagine. But yes. you got to shake his hand, and he smiled. Yes. He's he a he very was, gracious man. He's a very gracious man. He was definitely a gentleman on that. Yes. I still have a copy of the book, which Martin replaced for me. I lost mine in a flood. The one that I got signed, which still mm-hmm. just hurts my heart sometimes. I sure. think about that. Absolutely, but it, very kind s- and gracious to replace yeah. it for You'll me. Have to I scour eBay that. and see if you can find si- find the signed copy. Yeah, but you know, you're <clears> talking <throat> about these parts, and you know, he was the guy that made epic movies. Yes. Oh, yes. El Cid. Yeah, we we only mentioned a few. He did El Cid in sixty. Two, I think something uh, like that. I think that, and he also sixty-one. Yeah, sixty-one, and he, and in sixty-five he did the greatest story ever told as John the Baptist, which was you know the story of Christ with Max von Sydow and any Hollywood star that you could figure out was in that movie. Yeah, I mean, or it, people who went on to become big stars. That's right. Yeah, I mean, John Wayne, you know, was in that movie. Yes, uh, and it was one of those great moments. And in many respects, even though he didn't get top billing. He's the one that makes the movie. He's Max von Sydow was still early in his career. Heston is at his height, and it's um oh it's a st- him and Jose Ferrer together yeah. as Herod and John the Baptist. Who, daddy? It's yeah. amazing. But so he's the fifties and early sixties. He's the king of the epic film. Mm-hmm. Yes. But as the epics fade, yeah, he becomes the king of a whole new genre. Mm-hmm. That's still a part of our lives today, and that's science fiction. That's right. Uh, so we were joking about Planet of the Apes and take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. But really, that film is a cornerstone it of is. science fiction films. Correct. And, uh, up to that point, no one really took, no one in Hollywood takes science fiction films seriously. Yeah, you get Forbidden Planet. Yeah, which it, is it, almost a joke. It, well, it's, you know, the. The well, monster and movies and then the old serials, the Buck Rogers in the 30s, right, right. To, to make a serious statement with a science fiction film the way Planet of the Apes does, that's new and unique and, and it was chucks a, the cornerstone that's of it. Right. It was a phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, it spawned you know four more sequels. And then he goes plus, on... Plus multiple TV, TV shows and a cartoon. You yeah. got it. He goes on then to do 
two more science fiction films, The Omega Man and Soylent Green. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, so he, The Omega Man, the story was redone uh, by Will Smith as I Am uh, Legend. I, I, I Am Legend, Legend which is actually the name of the book that the movie yes. is based on. Right. Yes. So if you know I Am Legend, it's essentially the same story. So, um, you know, to move, to be the king of the epic film and then move into being <laughs> this the king of the science fiction, early science fiction films, I mean, wow. What, in just a, a few years. That's a career right there. Right. And that doesn't even take into account, again, the Westerns like Will Penny. That's so good. He did. He was. This is the range the man had. He did uh, adventure stories. Yep. He did westerns. Uh, he even did a few comedies. Not many, but he did some. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did um, war movies. Mm-hmm. He did the historicals. Yep. And he did period pieces. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Oh, that's right. One yes. of his favorite roles, he played uh, Andrew Jackson twice. Two different yes. films. Loved that. He yeah. was great as Andy Jackson. Yeah, The Buccaneer was one of them. Yes. Oh, with, that is one of my all-time with, favorites. With Yul Brenner uh-huh. uh, again, which they, you know, of course, they were together in uh, The Ten Commandments. And they yeah. came back again together and did that movie together. Yes, the story of, that's the Battle of uh, New Orleans mm-hmm. at the end of the War of 1812 with pirate Jean Lafitte. That is just a great story that's in American great, history no. yep. to begin with. Yeah. And him as Andy Jackson was great. Yeah. Loved it. And you know I uh, Talk about Ten Commandments. You know, I tweet every year, am I to be bathed or drowned? <laughs> so uh, just the Is that for your annual bath? Yeah, I mean, that's the <laughs> annual... Uh, to think that that film is on every year, the same time of year. Mm-hmm. It's Chuck's, become an Easter tradition. Yeah, Chuck's forever. That's yeah. It. So so I think it's interesting you guys brought up these these two things... This uh, two things that we admire at the same time. This his devotion to his craft. Yes, that he he was this actor who had all this range and really gave himself to the profession, and at the same time being this man of integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he took stands that weren't always popular. Right. He mentioned marched, him. Yes. He marched with Dr. King. And tried to get other people in Hollywood to do it, and they wouldn't. That's right. right. It was, he was a civil rights activist before it was popular. Yeah. Very much so. It was considered to be, you know, uh, subversive. It's a career killer. That's right. Yes. It's a career killer. And uh, um, and then later, he's president of the NRA. And that's a career killer in Hollywood, too. He saw no flip-flop in that, though. To him, that was the same thing. That was the promise of the Constitution for Dr. King. Right. And the promise of the Constitution in the Second Amendment. To him, that was the same. He's standing for the same principle at both ends. That in our world today, we say, well, that's just, that's crazy. But to him, it was not. It, this right. was. Well, that, same thing with being president of a union in the Screen Actors yes. Guild. He was sticking up for the rights of those he worked with to make sure they were protected. Mm-hmm. That was quintessential him. He was principled. And yes. He did not. It, it did not matter what the weather was around him when it happened. What is right is right. Well, that's exactly what he would say. He's yes. married to the same woman 
his entire life. She just passed away a year or so ago. Really, I did yes. not catch oh, did that. Not it's very that recent. Movie. Yeah, it's it's within the last year uh, that she finally. That's did one of the great away. Hollywood love stories. Very much so. Yes. You know, she was in acting early on, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously, when his career took off and they started having kids, uh, mm-hmm. she was not. I don't know if she ever did anything after the kids came along. She but uh, she stuck with photography. Photography. Okay. She really enjoyed photography. Okay. She would travel. That's right. With uh, pictures in the book in the arena are hers. That's or, right. or to a great and deal. I remember they had some that we, when we saw him, they had some that were available for purchase. Yes. Uh, there when he you know kind of traveled with him and they were Lydia's pictures. Uh, and I almost bought I wished I'd have bought it. They almost had they had a picture of him on stage, uh, a promotional photo as Thomas Moore. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't buy well, it. Well, I didn't have the money at the time. Yeah. If I had the cash on me, I would have. I still regret that one because it was a really cool one. Yeah. You're talking about the once-in-a-lifetime thing. I mean, something yeah. like that's just... Someone like Heston coming through this town, unfortunately, is not likely to happen again. Well, no. Uh, we, we waited in line for a significant period of time. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't bad, but it was significant, and it was... You well, know, that line was moving. It did. Yeah, they were getting maximum... Was, People through, yes. Yeah. But it was a great coup for them oh, to yes. be able to do that, for a local bookstore to... Yeah. to was it the Holly Cook? It's Holly Cook Books. It's the right. one on Shelbyville? Shelbyville or? Road. Yes. That's okay. correct. Yeah. That's the one we went to. You know, and it's, uh, it's kind of a shame, you know, today he'd be so in demand at the Comic-Con type stuff. Oh, yeah. The, uh, and those do come through here. Yes, mm-hmm. not the big, not as big as San Diego, of course, but we get we get two or three conventions a year now. Yeah, Absolutely. comic book yeah. conventions do come through here, and, well, and of course, as we know, nerd culture. nerd stuff, nerd culture rule, culture rules. rules. That's yeah. right. Well, Planet of the Apes, we owe him for that because, in many respects, <coughs> could any of the other science could Star Trek or Star Wars ever been made on the big screen without Planet of the Apes proving that you can invest in this and make it? it. I think for sure. Star Trek as a film property yeah. would not have happened without Planet of the Apes. Right. Now, really, you think so? Well, there's a little bit. Well, Star Wars did take care of it ahead of time and do that. Yeah, so I think once Star Wars hits, the gates are wide open. Right. But would Star Wars have been able to be made without Planet of the Apes before that? And I'm not saying that they're necessarily. Causal. It's not directly linked, no. Um, so, how much hunt, time is there between. Uh, 2001 and Planet of the Apes. Because they're both 1968, aren't they? Uh, 2001, 69. 2001 was 69. Okay. Yeah. Which was... that's I think they both paved the way. Yeah. Uh, 2001's a very different movie, though. Well, it's a different movie, but it is more of a space movie kind it of is. science fiction. It so is. From, you can probably draw a straighter line, thematically-wise, from 2001 to THX 1138 for George Lucas to Star Wars. As opposed to yeah. directly from Planet of the Apes. Now, industry-wise, yeah, Planet of the Apes probably did say, hey, well, maybe we can do something besides westerns and historicals and cop movies. Right. And, then, and, and I think there's a, the tie between Planet of the Apes and, and Star Wars is we can make, we can do the makeup and do the non-human characters and have that be part of the story. Oh, that's yeah. Planet and, of the Apes definitely is. That's the one that. And made it doesn't that have happen. to look cheesy. That's right. Yeah. It, it doesn't does, have to look like a guy in a rubber suit. Yeah, and Chewbacca and the bar scene and and all the the creatures, the ima- giving Lucas free reign of his imagination with the creatures and everything. Yeah, Planet of the Apes. I think is that's one of that. Planet of the yeah. Apes. <coughs> Very much so. Proves that you can do that 
and take off with it. And not just the original, because if it were just the one, maybe not. But considering they did five movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those other, those other four were cheap, because... The you know, a you didn't have the star power in the others that you do right. with Charles. I mean, Ryan is big, but he's not as big. Right, but it was they already proved that this not only works, but people will pay. They'll they'll go they'll show up in flocks to see this. I mean, yes. it, it was one of the early movie oh, yeah. franchises, other than and Bond, for years it was one of the earliest. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was yeah. For, certainly the first science fiction franchise. That's right. Yeah, and for years afterwards, you know, you could count on it regularly. ABC would show one of those movies. You know, they were constantly being re-shown on whatever night, Saturday night it's movies CBS. or something. It was CBS. CBS? Friday, yes, because I, I remember. I've got, actually got, you can find it on YouTube, the CBS evening Friday night movie, the trailer with the that particular music. Mm-hmm. The the one that somebody's uploaded to YouTube is the one with Planet of the Apes and Charlton Heston. Okay. I've actually got I've actually got an MP3 audio of it. Of it's course fanta- you do. Of course I do. Absolutely, <laughs> it's it's fantastically fun. Why? What are you the- opening there, Martin? <laughs> the cork came out of the bourbon bottle because I'm a little dry here. I still got a little bit of four. So roses I'm splashing here. some four roses. You uh, had larceny. I still so. have larceny. I'm not going to mix them. So uh, let me get you. Yeah, let me get you some larceny. Yes. So. Listeners, forgive me for moving a touch away from the microphone, but I was driving. You got to do the bourbon. You got to do the bourbon. You got to do the bourbon. Absolutely. So there's the cork back in Larson. Chuck deserves good bourbon, doesn't he? That's right. It's a subject matter. Yeah, he's a, he's like I say, he was one of the, when we first came up with the idea of doing an Our Heroes uh, thing on our podcast, his was one of the first names that came up. When we were talking about this, we knew we had to do him early because we've we've been fans of his. We talk about many of his movies, some of the obscure movies. It's Chuck for us. That's yeah. good enough. That's all we needed to hear. Uh, and that's one of the things that I think that we also admire about him because of his craft. He yes. turned in a great movie. This is one of the no matter what I he did, he, the... even even the stinky scripts. Yes. It's still worth watching. He was a professional all the way around. A quintessential professional. That's one of the points I made in the in the pre-show discussion was one of the things I put him up there with Stephen King and Michelangelo as far as craftsmen. Mm -hmm. They take their craft or took their craft incredibly seriously. When you look at um, whether you like his books or not, how well Stephen King constructs his stories. Oh yeah, there's no question he's a master author. And when you look at the craftsmanship that Michelangelo put into his sculptures or even into the Sistine Chapel the ceiling and the last judgment on the on the far wall uh, it's just phenomenal especially his Pieta which sits in the Vatican which I got to see in person two years ago which still is the high point close second was celebrating mass at the at the Vatican at St. Peter's but seeing that statue in person seeing it was the high point for me and Chuck is right up there. His his he is so serious. When you read in the arena, where he talks about his preparation, he didn't just get a script and ask how much money are they paying me. Okay, I'll do it. He took it so seriously that he took months to prepare. Mm-hmm. He would hire voice coaches so he could have the right accent. Although to be honest, I don't know that I can tell the difference. <laughs> but well, maybe my ear is not as good well, as, as he it had should a distinctive be. voice for sure. He did. He did. And you know, it's not like I've ever watched one that are supposed to be far apart 
from another and you know listen to them back to back. Touch or of Evil is a good one for a slightly different yes, voice. It's yes. early for him, uh, and he played a very different character well, there. Plus, we're playing somebody's Hispanic. Hispanic, that's correct. And uh, it was also Orson Welles, which has got a very different take on things. Yeah. Uh, he does a very good job. He was one of his favorite movies. He yeah, says yeah, in the book. Uh, because it was so different, even though it's, you know, he hadn't even done Ten Commandments yet. Right. But the preparation that he went through was just great. If he needed to know how to do something, he would take the time to learn how to do it before the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, he already knew how to ride. Yeah, he was a great horseman, uh, too. But, you know, if he probably, if he hadn't been on a horse in a year and he was doing a movie where he had to be on a horse, he probably took some time to go back and make himself ready. He didn't half-ass anything. And that is what I think what makes him such a joy to watch. It's not difficult to suspend my disbelief watching him play somebody. Yeah. It's not very well known, but he did a an NFL movie. Yes, uh, yes, number one. I that's think is what yeah, called. that's right. Yeah, and uh, I mean he tried to play football with real football players from the nineteen sixties and seventies. Uh, got Knocked clobbered. On his ass. <laughs> he got clobbered a little bit, but uh, you know he tried to make that believable you know he's one of the few american actors that ever played someone other than an american too and it doesn't happen very often but he played a brit in cartoon played general chinese gordon i right. love cartoon great movie he's with Lawrence olivier oh, he yeah. loved to work with other great top actors. level professionals um and he, he worked with all the greats in his he, era. Yeah, he worked with uh, men and Olivier. women. He worked with uh, Yul Brenner, David Niven, David Niven. Yes, um, uh, worked with Rex Harrison. A ton yeah. of great Brits. Agony and the Ecstasy for me. Yeah, and to me that's great because he he is Michelangelo in that. So for me, it's sure. a twofer. <laughs> yeah, um, but he worked with uh, John Gielgud, right? Yes, he did. yes, yes. yes. He did. That was uh, Sophia in, Loren in uh, Julius Caesar, whom he didn't like, which actually. he did not like. Which is, it's like, what's not to like? But you know, yeah, he 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 found. I forget what he says about. It. He speaks about it in the book that he says because he was originally offered. See, Samuel Bronston is the one that produced El Cid, and his next movie was Fall of the Roman Empire, and who he had Chuck on tap to play that. But he says, I'm not working again with Sophia Loren. I can't stand her. We just did not get along. Which just is a great example of And it was Stephen Boyd, who, who was with him in Ben-Hur, that took the role eventually. So, and this is a great example of what we've always said about women that guys get, you know, start drooling over. And as no matter how hot you think she is, somewhere, somebody is tired of putting up with her shit. <laughs> okay, <door. laughs> but you know it's pretty unusual for Chuck not to get along with another actor. Well, that, that's and, true, and, and that's perhaps that's the, you know the exception that proves the rule. His extreme professionalism when he says something like that, that's kind of like really you yeah. can't get along with her. Yeah, because uh, you know you can get along with anybody. I mean, even Sam Peckinpah, who was drunk most of the day when they filmed uh, uh, Major Dundee, uh, he actually came after came at him with a sword. Uh, believe it or on not, on horseback, on yeah. horseback, charged yeah. him, charged him, yeah. Uh, and and Peckinpah said, "Oh, take the crane up." Uh, He's on a up, crane, up, and, he, up. and he he asked him to go down the hill in a canter or something, and he went too fast, and he called him. I don't remember the name, but it was it was pretty rude. And Heston just had had it with him. He turns around because he's got a sword in his hand. He's on a horse, and he charges him with it. And Peckinpah has a fit, raises the crane, and lets him go by. And he, and Chuck says he never had a problem with him after that. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. And they yeah. made a lot of movies together, didn't they? Uh, no, that's the only one that they did together. Yeah, Wasn't sure. there Sam that, that he did a lot of movies with? Who am I thinking of? Um, I don't no? know. 
That was the only one that that he, uh, he worked with Sam Peck and Paul's director. Right, um, uh, Franklin Schaffner. He did. Uh, did three or four. He with did three Schaffner. or four with Schaffner. He did the Warlord, uh, and I think '65, and that's kind of what led to Planet of the Apes, is because uh, Maurice Evans was in the Warlord. They worked another together. great actor. That's yes. right. He worked with, and that's the reason that he got him to play. Uh, Dr. Zayas, because originally Edward G. Robinson was supposed to do it, but his health was, was bad. so bad he couldn't right. wear the makeup. He but couldn't he wear the makeup. He worked with Edward G. Robinson a couple of different well, times. Well, yeah, he was in Soy and Green, of course, and, of course, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. He was with him. Uh, but the original, we talked about the screen test for Planet of the Apes. It yeah. was Edward G. Robinson, Edward G. Robinson who yeah. did the screen test with the makeup. And if you, it's on the DVD. You can watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, that's... That's another thing. Now, he didn't obviously have to do anything with the makeup, but he had to run around mostly naked throughout that movie. Mm-hmm. That takes a great actor That's to be able to do. That's a lot of courage. Well, especially for a guy. Well, yeah. And actually, you remember the scene... I mean, that, girl, too, but I mean, you know, it's... But anyways. <laughs> yeah, but... I think... That's, that's Linda Harrison. That's another subject. Yes. But that's another... Yes. However, do you remember the scene that we started this episode off with, that famous line? He says this in the book. He had a 100-degree... 102 degree fever when he's filming that he was sick wow and he's running around with just this stinking cloth on and little he says little footies on his feet that you can't really see uh all with this 100 degree fever that's professionalism you know yeah you have to film this scene how many big stars today would have done that would have done that that's exactly right and you know he and he's very clear in the book that's just what you did you, right. need, you know, you've got a shooting schedule to he, get here. He loved working with other professionals. He found David Niven very professional. Yes, he, he really did. That's right. With him. So, and uh, one actress that he worked with, I think he had more pity for her or, or more feeling for her, Ava Gardner. Um, yes. Who was she not was super professional. She had damaged al- is what he called yeah, her. She, I believe, had alcohol issues as well. Right. And he worked with her twice, I guess it was. I think so. I think uh, so. In what? Earthquake. That's Earthquake, yes. And and uh, um, 55 Days at Peking. That's the other one, yes. That's and right. And he, he really felt for her. She really did have difficulties in in working and continuing to work. And So, one of the things that... Um, we haven't talked about, but I think this is important to understand Chuck. And that's when you think about the year he was born in 1923. So he's coming of age in the Depression. Mm-hmm. And when we think about the Depression, it's not something that anybody, almost anybody living today, certainly anybody that knows how to work a podcast, is going to be <laughs> able to, to, uh, to relate to. You know, it, it, that is such a cataclysmic event. It's yes, very unique in our that, history. You know, the only thing that has the same kind of imprint on our consciousness are things like the Civil War and World War II mm-hmm. and, and the Revolution. I mean, th- and th- those things, and you think about the World War II, is on the heels of the Depression. It's what really gets us out of the Depression. They're often smashed together because it's the same generation that's right. experiencing it. Them. Yes, the people who grew up in the Depression are the ones who are fighting World War II. Right, so... And... The greatest generation as it's... Right. Yes. it's for them, it's one narrative. It is. Yeah, you can't really separate the two. Uh, I think having the same president through all of that time is part of that. Sure. But I think that background really is what makes him the man that he is about his professionalism his 
desire to stick to its principles, that's that generation. And yeah. well, self-reliance and self-reliance is a huge part of who he was and who that generation became. Yes, you did that. You know, we're talking about the professional. You did things because you were supposed to. You 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 say you're a professional actor. This is what professional actors do. Right. You have to show up and be there. Because if you don't, there's plenty of guys that will take your job. Yep. Well, even once he had become what he what he calls in the book the thousand pound gorilla, he could command any performance he wanted to. By the time the '60s are going on, he's a big enough bankable scar. He can choose what he wants. Right. He still picked the right roles and reinvents himself the, over and over again. Yeah. But part of that goes back to his, his background. So it's not just the growing up in the Depression and coming of age and then fighting in World War II. It's also, for me, I think this is this is uh, very much part of it um, because it feeds into the studio system. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. You know, that is going to instill in him early on that professionalism that I show up when I'm told, when I'm supposed to, and I do my job because that studio system is very much a growth out of that Depression-era type of economics. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people who are willing to take your so slot. If you don't produce, somebody else will. And that's why he makes so many movies early on is it just becomes, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And once he becomes a big enough star and he's no longer in the studio system, he just keeps doing it. And like you mentioned, it's it's not just showing up, it's showing up ready. Prepared. 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 That's right. And, that's right. And Hitting that's, the mark. That's what he was famous for. He was ready. He researched. He knew Andrew... Andrew Jackson's life inside and out. Right. In which he felt he needed to do that to convincingly portray him on film. Right. So, to me, it, it's... I'm sure there were other actors that did that, and I'm just not familiar with their stories. Uh, because there must have been. He oh, couldn't yeah. be the only well, guy who well, did this. Well, Olivier was a consummate professional as well. Yes, he, yes. He, And he was known I mean, as far as that kind that. of preparation and everything to go yeah. with it. Yeah. Uh, I think anybody that came out of that studio era... You know, depression and World War II and all of that probably had a lot of that same kind of work ethic if they didn't succumb to the the dangers of Hollywood. You know, where you take yourself too seriously, where you get involved in with uh, alcohol and drugs, because even back then there were still drugs. Oh yeah. Uh, you know. Well, there's a famous story told about Olivier when making the movie Marathon Man, uh, which you know you can find this anywhere. It's with Dustin Hoffman and. Hoffman was a member of the method acting school, and the character he was playing was supposed to have been up for like three days. And Hoffman dis- does this uh, and stays up for like three days when he's ready to film these scenes. And Olivier famously said to him, my dear boy, have you ever considered just acting? <laughs> and, uh, which, of course, is you know one of those famous stories, yeah, but, how, but that's Olivier. Yeah, that's uh, also Chuck. That's what you did. You just acted. Yeah, you know, why are you doing this? How else can you play it, Larry? Yeah. Acting? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And, you know, that's the sort of thing. I mean, these are great stories. They're great anecdotes. And the best part about them, and, and you know, the thing with Sophia Loren shows that he was human. Yes. But the best part about them is it just, it, it shows how human he was both good and bad. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to think of big stars today in those same kind of anecdotes. Mm-hmm. You know, about showing... I mean, again, I'm not saying that stars today are not uh, prepared, that they don't do their research. Sure. Uh, but it just seems like so many more uh, are 
selfish bastards, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, Chuck would work with just about anybody. Yeah, he it's, would. it's in, in many. Part many, of that's showing up and doing your job. Well, that's right. And those that worked, many of his lesser-known co-stars would speak of him in years later and say, you know, this guy here, he always had a smile. He always had something to say. Uh, he never looked down on any of his co-stars or the crew or anybody that worked with him. He was just a professional, and that's admirable. It is. He treated people with dignity, no matter what their station was. So, last episode, we did the strength and honor. Charlton Heston, I think, would understand exactly what we mean about yes. strength and honor. Yes, he would. Yes, yes. indeed. indeed I think he, would. he is a great example of that. The it, integrity of yeah. things, uh, of, of living by a principle because that's what you do. That, right. It means something. You know, he wasn't. He, he, he wasn't an actor or even an, a an activist just because it was a paycheck. Mm -hmm. You know, it was part and parcel of who he was. That's right. But how he went about it is so admirable. Because yeah, he, he, he went against convention. He, well, he took everything so seriously. He, did, he never half-assed anything. Right. And he was the consummate professional both on screen and with his fellow performers and the crew. Like you were just saying, he, he always had a smile for him. Part of that is that honor. Mm -hmm. You know, that is an honorable way to, to go get, about yeah, your business. It's an honorable way to conduct yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he uh, went to Vietnam without a film crew. Oh. Um, helicoptered in, you know, to forward positions. To an FOB, forward operating base. And, and just interacted with soldiers. Said I'll, I'll go home and contact your family, your girl, whatever. Let them know I, I talked to you. Didn't didn't take a film crew. That is unheard of today. Yeah. You know, just a few years after that, probably because I'm sure that was what late sixties, sixty eight and sixty nine, I think. So just three years later, you've got Jane Fonda goes to Vietnam. Oh, there's a film crew. With a very different story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm not saying she's not honorable, but I think that was a very dishonorable thing a she did. A very dishonorable thing. Um, and that is a great... When you The one story is, you think, oh, that that's nice. But I think how nice is when you contrast it mm -hmm. with something like the Jane Fonda story. Uh, when you look at the guys who did stuff like that, you know, granted... Bob Hope was doing USO tours. There weren't really... They didn't always film... I mean, there was probably a lot of filming going on, but it wasn't filming so that they could use it for publicity. Right. Gary Sinise is famous for doing it currently. He's been very yes. involved in seeing troops all over the world uh, as an entertainer. And he doesn't... You know, he's known for it, but it's and not... He does charity around That's it. exactly right. I mean, he does it for the right reasons. He's, yeah. he's a, he's a very the, uh, remarkable Lieutenant guy. Dan... That Whatever is, he called it, but it's after his character in Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, Gump. exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what started he, it, he, I think. Sinise, I'm glad you brought him up. He's very much the inheritor of Heston's mantle. I'm, he probably wouldn't see it that way. He think, you know, he, he's certainly his own person and, and doing things for his own reasons. But I, I, I see him as, as the inheritor of Heston's man. I can see that. I mean, he may not be the actor. He may not have the chops in that respect. But he is a professional. He's a very honorable man. And I, he, well, he stands up for what he believes yeah. in, no matter what the cost. And he's a fine actor as well, very professional. He is. He, is. Uh, he, did, uh, he, was, he played Truman in the adaptation of David McCulloch's book uh, hmm. quite a few years ago. 
And you know, this shows this guy's got a range. He did a fantastic job. I don't job. remember him in that. It was well, a, it was a, I believe an HBO maybe production. Maybe was, I didn't see it. It was not, it was not in the theaters. It was, I want to say, yeah, one yeah. of the cables. And it's astounding. Now, I don't know if you've read the book. Uh, I know you guys have read McCulloch quite a few times. Yes, but I have not read Truman. I've not read his Truman it, it's, no. it's worth it. I, it really is. Uh, he, uh, anything McCulloch does is a fine, fine work, of it course. Is, his 1776 yeah. is still one of my all-time uh, his, his, his Truman and his Lincoln are my, are my two favorites. And I've not read all... Actually, I have not read the John Adams. I know you it's guys both good. have. I've skimmed it. I've not read it. Yeah. It's it's one of these things I will eventually. I understand get to. that the the HBO miniseries was very true to the book, and that was that a was, phenomenal. That book, was that Paul Giamatti, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I have not seen it. And uh, Laura Flynn Boyle? No, no. Um, I do not recall. I can picture her face, but I cannot think of her name. It's Laura something or other. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, she was Adams's wife. We're getting a little bit far afield here. Uh, although you know what, Chuck Heston. He would have made a great Revolutionary War, uh, like. Actually, he did play Jefferson. He did. He did play Jefferson, but I think he would have made a good Washington as well. We well, had the height too; that helps. Yes, he was yeah. a tall man. Yes, mm-hmm. think of him as Hamilton. Yes, not of course musical Lin Manuel Miranda or anything, but if if a, you know a. A real film adaptation of Hamilton's life. Mm-hmm. Chuck would have been the guy to play him, um, and he would have gladly taken on that role, even though he would have died at the end of the movie because he was not against that. You know, a lot of big name actors. No, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be in this movie. I die in it. <laughs> I mean, think about it, that's well, I true. That was the thing that all actors wanted was a great death scene. Well, that's how that, that depends. That's how Nicholas Meyer got uh, Leonard Nimoy to do Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, saying, "How would you like?" Because he was kind of soured on the role. He says, "How'd you like a good death scene?" And the rest is uh, science fiction movie history, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to tie this though. Like, I like to tie every time we do a hero. Yes, I want to tie them together. I want to paint that nar- Paint that. Paint is the wrong word. String that narrative together and tie from Moore to Milius to Grant to Heston. I'm going to leave out Van Gogh. And Van Gogh. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, this is episode 39, for goodness sakes. We've done quite a few we've done, of these. We have. heroes. Yeah. You know, he's, he's his own person. He, again... Nearly wrecked his career marching with Dr. King, but he felt it was the right thing to do. He nearly wrecked his career working with the NRA, felt it was the right thing to do. Now, when did he start working with them? He was mostly retired, but this is in the 90s. Well, that's what I mean, yeah, because, I mean, it, certainly for his reputation, that would have been a very bad thing. Um, I'm just wondering how much of a career threatening thing uh, no was. not much at that time because he'd kind of done whatever he wanted he was but he was well known as a conservative yes. by then yes. that's correct yeah well i guess that's a yeah moving into the conservative camp um but again i want you know emphasize it was still a little bit of him, a further step yeah it's to more him, than just politics it's activists it, it's a consistent intellectual exercise and being that individualist being that person who stood on his principles very admirable oh absolutely so yeah so there like van gogh there's two things here to to admire mm-hmm. 
that craftsmanship, but also that personal life. And like you said, I, I think strength and honor would have been something he would he would have said. He would if that were made if that if Gladiator were made in nineteen sixty five he would have been Maximus. <laughs> yes. I think that's not a that's not a stretch at all. I no. think that's very if it had been, if it had been made like, in 91, he'd have been Marcus Aurelius. Yes. Well, yeah, there's some truth to that and, too. And he he would have adopted that phrase, I think. So Chuck's very much in the the strength and honor pantheon. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, right. Francis, I think we have just about wrapped up this, Martin. You yeah. think so, too? We're at 44 minutes, so... All right, Francis, what's up next week? Oh, my goodness. This is one I've been waiting for, guys. Oh, I know what one is up next yes, week. Yes, you do. Gee, I think I should captain this one. No, no, no. <laughs> next week, we're going back to pop culture, and it's going to be the wisdom of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. How topical. How, How topical. topical, yes, because... <laughs> Star Trek Picard just premiered recently. That's right. I have watched the first episode. Yes, have I. It was a pain in the butt to stream, even though I watched it late at night. Granted, it was the first night, but still. Oh, 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 okay. Yes. Huge, Sandra, audience. Yeah, huge, huge audience. Huge audience, that's right. We watched it the next day, didn't have a problem with it. And, oh my gosh, it was just, it's its every bit as good as I was expecting Did it to giggle? be. Did you giggle? Did I giggle the fan yeah. service to it? Yes, there's plenty of that. That's correct. We can talk about that yeah, next Mrs. episode. Mrs. Barnes said it was good. I have not had an opportunity to view it. It was good. It's amazing to realize the man is 92. But this is going far afield. This is for next week. So next right, week, because there's a great, 40. a lot to explore about the man, the character, but most importantly, the great words that have been delivered by Patrick Stewart in that character, and but written by so many other folks uh, in the many years that he's played him. So catch us next time. Looking forward to it. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>